Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another DNA podcast. You may be able to tell a little bit of joy in my voice this time round. I've only gone a bloody caught one, ain't I? Oh, God, I feel like my whole life has changed. Literally, it's amazing, isn't it? That, 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 that little something can just completely change everything. And with it being a fish, what better way to change your life around, eh? Well, to be honest, it wasn't just the fish, to be fair. That has helped matters. Another thing I forgot to moan about on the last podcast was the fact that I'd broken my brand spanking new GoPro. And that, it was hurting me a little bit, to be honest. Like I said, I had a rough month last month. And this time round, yeah, I I had this GoPro, uh, the new Hero 7, great bit of kit. You can actually slow-mo like 4K in it. You can get it down to about 40% before it starts ruining itself. And I've been using that whilst out on shoots to film the rods. You could plug a power pack into it. And you can film the rods and like I say, you can slow-mo a bit of 4K stuff. Great bit of kit. But to plug a power pack into the side of it, you have to take one of these, like the, the little door that opens basically to plug it in. Well, I was out with uh, Bradley. We were doing a bit of filming and there was a few carp like um, feeding in this gin clear water right in the edge. And I thought, you know, this could be a great opportunity to film a bite on camera. Well, Divi here completely forgot to put the little door back onto the side of the GoPro, didn't I? So I've put it underwater and I've left it there for about half an hour. <sighs> Pulled it back out and it's saying SD card error. I'm like, what? And then it's going, did 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 No wonder the bloody carp didn't want to go near it. It was obviously bleeping underwater. The fish were like coming up to it and then just spooking away. Like instant, as soon as they get into the area, they'd spook off. And I was thinking, oh, it must be the camera, you know, alien object. No, nah, it was the fact that the bloody thing was bleeping underwater. So that was keeping them away. Soon as I pulled the camera out and put the rig, you know, where well, the rig was still in place, got bite straight away. So, yeah, it busted me GoPro, in other words, and I dried it out, and the bloody thing hasn't worked. And before this fishing trip, where I've just caught one on, I managed to fix the bugger, didn't I? I couldn't find the receipt for it. It's quite new, this go. It's only about a month or so old. And I couldn't find the bloody receipt for it. I was thinking, do I go and buy another one and then take the broken one back and say this, that and the other? And, oh, you know, just ball ache, basically. I, I never want to take things back and this, that and the other. You know, when you break something, you break something. But, you know, it's just one of them things. And it was just a bane on my life, to be honest with you. But I managed to do a form, a, like a master reset on it. I managed to update it through my phone got the bloody thing working again right before this trip where I've gone and caught one so I've been over at Raysbury one on the North Lake went over there I really wanted to get back in that secret weedy where I lost that absolute leviathan from on the last podcast and unfortunately there was some geezer in there and he was asleep he was in there with his missus and she she went to go and wake him up. I was like, no, no, just leave it sort of thing. You know, let him sleep and whatever. And and trotted off down the bank and managed to find some in a corner called the drop-off. And there was two big ones there swimming around, looked right up for a mix-off. I thought, oh, here we go. You know, this will do me. Walked into like the sweat, like you can look at the drop-off from the road. And you, so you're not like stood in the swim and you're seeing the area that you fish from the drop-off sort of thing. 
So I'm watching these fish all milling about. There's a couple of like VS fish, sort of scaly ones, swimming around in the edge, like mid 20s sort of thing. And like I say, I've got my eyes set on these two giants that are swimming around this this weedy area. And I've walked into the drop-off swim, and there's another geezer stood in there. I thought, oh, bloody hell. I uh, got chatting to him, real nice guy, a uh, lad called Pete. Got chatting to him, I think his name's Pete. Probably got that wrong. Get many people's names wrong, but I'm sure his name's Pete. And um, yeah, we're chatting away, chewing the fat. And uh, the <laughs> I didn't want to sort of give it away that I'd seen these two giants, sort of thing. And he uh, like Pete was sort of saying, "Oh, you know, there's always fish in this corner and this that." And you know, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." So you know, one thing or another, we, I sort of said to him, "You know, oh, what are you doing?" And with that, these two bloody giants like started swimming with their backs out the water, didn't they? And I'm thinking, "Oh no!" And he's seen them as well, and um. I, he's like, oh, look, there's a couple there. And I was like, yeah, to be honest, mate, I've been watching them from the road. They're bloody massive. Well, one of them was a lot bigger than the other. One, I reckon, was a mid-30. The other looked a 40-pounder. And he, I sort of said, oh, you know, what are you doing sort of thing? You know, obviously, you stood in the swim first. So you're going to jump in here. And he went, oh, no, I've bucketed the secret reedy because matey, who was a kip in there, is going tonight. And I was like, oh, right, okay, sweet. So so you don't mind if I get in there? He's like, no, you, you know, fill your boots. So got into the drop-off swim and put, so you can you can park near the swim sort of thing, unload your kit, and then you have to get rid of your van. But what I did is I, I parked there, loaded my kit into the swim, and then put two spots of mixers out and then went up to the van, uh, went up to take the van away. And I put these two spots up, and as I've got into the van and looked left as I'm driving off, they're having it. They're, you know, proper munching on the surf. Oh, here we go, you know, get get the van back at a million miles an hour. Well, obviously at five miles an hour, the speed limit, of course. Ran back to the swim. They're still having it. For here we go. This is going to be nice and easy. Never bloody is, though, is it? No. With that, a family of swans are coming towards me. Like, um, it's a race against... They're on the opposite side in the secret reedy, which I would say is about, I don't know, 400 yards away. And they're coming... They're hurling towards me. It's like they can hear the carp feeding off the bloody surface. So I'm quickly rushing to get this rod together. I've got the rod together, and at this point, the bloody swans are about 150 yards away. I've whacked the rod out. It's a race against the swans or these two carp, and they're having it, and they're having it. And, yeah, the inevitable. The bloody swans come in. They wrecked it. There's, like, four signets, mum and dad. As soon as they saw the carp, they started rearing up at the carp. Hissing or and then yeah, just in other words, it didn't happen. There, I thought, bloody, here we go, another session that's going to be a nightmare. So I'm sat in there. I let you know, I let the swans do their thing. They had their feed about. They chased the fish around, and then they buggered off. Um, but with that, the fish did start. Well, them two giants unfortunately disappeared, but the others, the scalies and all that vs fish, they stayed in the corner. So. I thought, right, well, at least I haven't scared fish. I've got fish to fish for in here, but I didn't. I don't know the swim whatsoever, and it looked mega, mega weedy in there. I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't want to go ledding about and scaring them off and this and the other, and I was in two minds of, you know, what I'm exactly going to do here. So I, I text a couple of mates who I'd known that had fished in the swims. They were on bloody holiday, unfortunately, so I didn't... And I just thought, right, sod it, you know, it's starting to get dark now, I'm going to have to get the rods out. But potlucks cast over towards, like, it, there's an obvious snag that you can fish to, but there's so many weed beds that are drifted in there, they were on the surface, um, you couldn't fish near these snags. So I tried to fish sort of as close as I could to them, I'd say about two rod lengths, maybe three rod lengths off the tip of this snag. First cast, bang, crack, went down absolutely lovely. I thought, oh, ideal. So found that spot, found a, found a spot down to my edge and a spot out in front. Nice and easy, free cast, absolutely beautiful. Put 10 spots of SLKs out there. Next morning comes, nothing's bloody happened. I couldn't believe it, there was slosh. I got up in the morning, first thing, 
And one had, one had jumped right on the left-hand rod, one had jumped on a bloody middle rod, and then one jumped on the right-hand rod down, uh, down to me right. Jumped on all bloody three rods, in other words. But here we go, you know, I'm going to have a bite today. Bugger all happened. Absolutely nothing. So I stuck to me guns, carried on fishing the same three spots. I only redone, redone one of the rods, which was the rod that I thought I was going to definitely get a bite on, two rod lengths off of this snag. Redone that, uh, put fresh fresh hook bait on. I was using um, some PB pop-ups, SLK over the top. I put about 20 spots over the top of SLK sort of crumb and a mix sizes and what have you. Put that back out there. Yes, I got a bite. So, yeah, but... <laughs> It's never, it's never going to be bloody easy, is it? I got a bite. It didn't actually weed me up, which surprised me. And I managed to get it in quite quickly. But my net was up in, like, up in, hung up against a tree or lent up against a tree. And as I've pulled my net, it's caught up on a load of brambles. I've got the ump with it. And I've managed to somehow dismantle the bloody net as I've pulled it away from the tree. Thinking really, and with that, this fish has come into the edge. Can see it in the spot in the head torch, gin clear water, and it's like a scraper 20 mirror. And I thought, oh, right, okay. And then I'm sort of, I mean, I, so I've had to put the bloody rod down, get the net. And as I went to put the rod down to remantle the net, put the net back together, the fish has powered off left. And it's gone underneath one of me rods and I've sort of cranked down on it a little bit too hard and yooks come out. And to be honest, you know, it got scraper 20, this, that and the other. I just, it didn't hurt me as one as a, as much as the one last week, to be honest. But I still haven't actually caught a bloody carp out of North Lake yet. So I was a little bit gutted on that point of view, but just one of them things. Put the rod straight back out and then it went a couple of hours later, just as the sun's coming up. I'll tell you what, I was absolutely shitting myself this time round. I've had three hook pulls on there now, and I don't know what it is. I always this time of year and that a lot of the other lads they're suffering with hook pulls as well. So I don't think it's my rigs or anything like that. Whether they're feeding a little bit different, I'm not too sure. But but yeah, I was shitting myself. Put it that way, I was absolutely bricking it, playing this fish like an absolute wetty. And letting it go, oh, the fight, oh man, this thing just wouldn't give up. I actually put my GoPro on, me, me GoPro that's fixed on, onto my head. And as, uh, there's a lot of effing and blinding, let me tell you, of this fish just fighting and fighting and fighting in the edge and powering off. And I bet, like, I'm looking at the rod and I've barely got a bend in the rod because I really, really wanted to land this one. Good fish, this. Absolute brick in it that's going to fall off like all the bloody others have. Oh, please let me get this in. Stop fighting, please. I'm absolutely shitting it. This is going to fall off. I don't, I don't understand how it can fight this hard. Please give up. I just want you in the net. Oh, I hit one last night and it fell off. So this is why I'm absolutely shitting it. Because the last three fish that I've fucking hooked in here have fallen off. And I just, I know this one's going to fall off. Please. Please. Give up. Oh, it feels like I've been playing this for ages. I've managed to power it back to the bang and it's powered off again. Oh, it's just wouldn't give up. And then it finally went in the net. And I'll tell you what, I was so lucky not to... If this fish would have weeded me up or I think if it would have gone on another surge, I'd have lost it. It was hooked right on the edge of the lip in like about three mil of lip. It was just like the inch stiff rig just sat in there. On, in the bottom, where you would want it, but you'd want it at least another bloody inch back. Yeah, real odd that, you know, the hook holds are just seem like for everyone that's on there at the minute are getting, you know, not very good hook holds and they're, you know, getting hook pulls sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing. Managed to catch myself one. £20 common. I'm elated by that. And I feel like I've got a new lease of life pumped into me. 
honestly do. It's amazing how, you know, a fish can just completely change it all round for you, to be honest. So, yeah, I'm buzzing. I'm absolutely buzzing, to be honest. And that's probably going to be my last trip over there for at least five or six weeks now. I've got some big trips coming up. I'm not going to give it away just as yet, but I'm going to be doing some sort of podcast whilst I'm away. But yeah, I've got some fishing abroad that I'm thoroughly looking forward to, which is coming up. Also coming up is an interview with James Anderson. Now, some of you guys might not know who James is, but he knows a lot about the scientific side of things when it comes to carp. So this should make for a very good listen for all of you carpy friends out there, to be honest. Yeah, James is a lecturer in carp. He studied them. He's been, I'm sure he's been to university. I did this recording a few weeks back. So I've completely, like in the last few weeks, obviously with everything going on, I can't remember for the life of me what we spoke about, well, I do know what we spoke about, we spoke about a lot of the scientific sort of sides of carp, and uh, and yeah, like I say, this interview should make for a good listen. So welcome to the podcast, James Anderson. So uh, this is probably the first time you've ever done one of these, isn't it? Yeah, it's my first podcast, yeah. Yeah, so, um, well, I I understand that you know more than most about carp, I suppose. Yeah, you could say that. Because you're you're sort of job background as such. Yeah, So you've been a a college lecturer in fishery management, I believe, for the last sort of 12 years. That's it. How'd you, how'd you get into that then? Yeah, well, um, through well through my obviously hobby and main passion was fishing, and then I um, when I realised you could do courses in it, I ended up going to study it myself. So I spent five years at Sparsholt College um, studying it, getting a degree. Uh, and I graduated from there in two thousand and seven, uh, and then uh, sort of soon after that, really, I got offered um, a job um, at a local college to me called Otley College, and um, teaching on fisheries courses similar to what I'd been studying on so um, yeah it was a bit of a uh, quick move into teaching really I wasn't really expecting it or planning it that way but it just uh, the opportunity was there so that was yeah back in uh, sort of October, October 2007 and then I've never looked back since really really enjoyed the last 12 years there teaching uh, you know getting out and doing a lot of uh, practical stuff with the students and uh, Know, doing all sorts of things really um, yeah so it's been really enjoyable time okay um what would you what would you say was um one of the biggest things you sort of learned whilst you were at spa shell you know with with carp and, yeah. and what have you so there? you learn about um anatomy and physiology so you know things like uh, uh internal systems of the fish um things like um, endocrine systems and um respiratory systems that sort of thing uh, all about the biology of a carp really and all other sorts of fish as well um, it's really interesting and you can use some of that knowledge as well and apply it to your angling as well so um, you know it's been quite useful from that point of view yeah what sort of knowledge of from that have you applied into your own angling would you say um, so probably things like the way uh, for example the way a carp can um, locate food items for example right uh, the senses of fish um, in general that's really interesting um, you know carp are, are very highly developed creatures with a very good sensory system um, they've got a very good eyesight that can see in much darker conditions than uh, than, than human eyes can uh, they've got a very good sense of smell that they use to locate food and um, taste buds as well all over their bodies and fins where they can can locate food and test to see if things are edible and that's it's quite a useful thing when you're looking at how you use bait and what have you mm. uh, you know just if you know a bit more about how the fish are actually locating that bait then it gives you a bit of an advantage in terms of applying it as well yeah yeah is it true that um, I think I've read something once that they their their sense of smells like 50,000 times better than a human yeah is that right? yeah they can they can pick up very very small quantities of uh, chemicals in the water um, they've got um, 
uh, their, their nostrils on the top of their head have got two openings and they've got constant flow of water going through their nostrils all the time. Mm. Um, so it's like passing in and out in one entrance and out the other one um, uh, um, over the back of a, um, a sort of a organ at the back of the, the nostril which is uh, which um, locates chemicals in the water and so they're constantly s- smelling their environment right um, and really you know they can hide home in on food from quite a long way away and is it true like their their hearing as well is almost up to yeah. fifty thousand times more yeah human, they've got a good right? sense of hearing as well they've got a few few different ways they uh they uh, sense vibrations in the water um they have got a, an ear you obviously can't see the ears on a car mm. um but they do have ears, um, and they have um, bones called otoliths in um, in their um, in their ear, which uh, vibrate in, in little fluid-filled sacs, which um, which vibrate at certain frequencies. Um, another way they they use uh, they sense vibration as well as through their lateral line, which is obviously something you can see on on a fish. Yeah, and that's a really good way they detect, detect uh, lower frequencies and vibrations through the water there as well. So that's Again, something you can apply to your your angling, realizing how they're actually sensing and hearing things like people walking around or people banging pegs and yeah. bank sticks in and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it attracts them in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I suppose it's two different ways. You know, I suppose with the spot, the sound of the spot going. Yeah, exactly. Into the water, yeah. So they can feel the vibrate. You know, they can sense that vibration of the spot. Um, and, and also things like bait hitting the water. You see some fisheries where they actually come to the sound of pellets going in, mm. and that can actually attract them in as well. So it's not necessarily vibrations that are, uh, you know, might scare them off, but some of them are going to be actually using them to, you know, to locate food, and especially in artificial environments that we create for angling, if you've got the sound of boilies going in or pellets going in, or as you said, spots and things, actually they associate that with food, yeah. and they come, come to the sound of that. So... Um, yeah, they're quite. Uh, when you look at it, they're very, very successful creatures. Really, they can thrive in a wide variety of environments, and um, they're really well adapted to uh, to you know the sort of fisheries and things like that, and, and finding food and and thriving. Mm. So when um, talking about um, sort of their sense of smell and stuff, what what's your take on them picking up a single bit of plastic? On the bottom, not we're not talking yeah. about zigs here, sort of yeah. like a bit of plastic, a bit of plastic on the bottom. Are they smelling that? That's been unflavored. Or? Yeah, I, I would say that's more going to be a visual thing, really. You know, right. um, I, if you're talking about a single bit of plastic by itself or with bait as yeah, well. Yeah, no, by itself because people have had bites. You know, yeah, just sure. using. You know, I've heard quite a few stories of people saying, yeah. "I just chucked a bit of plastic out and I caught one." Yeah, Couldn't yeah, believe yeah, it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wouldn't say personally. You know, I wouldn't say it's the, the the smell of it as such, but I think it's with that it's more sort of a visual thing. And I think you, you know, especially if they've they've been used to feeding on things like things like sweet corn, for example, and they've got associate that sort of colour with with that. Even if a single piece, they might. Um, they might think is edible. Yeah. But they also do a lot of a lot of testing of things all the time. You know, they're 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 sucking up items of food, and they've got a um, really advanced um, palatal organ, which helps to um, sift out food items that are edible and non edible. So they have to even if it's not edible they don't necessarily realize that they have to suck it in to see if that's yeah. edible or not and in, yeah. in, you know in a lot of the time they'll blow a lot of the unedible stuff out but obviously by that point they've already you know from a fishing point of view they've, if they've sucked it in to see if yeah, it's edible it's then you're going to hook one anyway yeah, yeah. yeah so it's not necessarily it might have decided this isn't edible mm. but by that point it's it's too late yeah yeah <laughs> and they can sort of separate separate them food items in their mouth to sort of silt as such. That's it. Yeah, yeah. They, so they can they can sift out. So they're feeding in silt. They can filter a lot of that uh, unedible material out from their from the, the edible stuff, uh, and, and blow a lot of that silt out through their gills um, to sift through it, and then only accept the uh, the edible for stuff like the invertebrates, things like bloodworm and other larvae and things like that that might mm. be living in the silt. Yeah. So they're you know it's quite an advanced system, really, and impressive. You know the way they sort through things. You know, they haven't got any hands or anything to sort through what they're eating or anything like that, so they've got to do it like that, and it's a, it's a pretty effective uh, way of doing it, really. Yeah. So, um, you've been around carp, obviously, quite a lot yeah. in your life. Uh, would you say that they've got characters, each different carp that you've seen, or are they all quite similar as one another, or, you know, yeah. is that a strain thing? You know, are, are most strains similar to, you know, the other strains in the way they feed or act, or...? 
Yeah, I think there definitely is different characters to them. I think with any with any animal, um, if you spend a lot of time with those animals, then mm. you you pick up the different characters. If, if anyone's got like a dogs at home, I've got a couple of dogs at home, and they've got completely different characters. Yeah. And um, and um, you don't realise that until you spend time with them, you know. Um, and the same with carp, you know, if they're, they're, you know, you spend a lot of time with carp, if you fished, ever fish like sort of small fisheries, we we're talking about Nutsy, weren't we, yeah, earlier, and that's yeah. a very small lake, I learnt a lot on watching carp very mm. intimately, and you see then there's different fish, different characters, it's, you know, it's, it's easier to see when, you, when you're actually observing them a lot, you think some of them are a lot, you know, they get caught a lot more than others, because maybe yeah. they're a bit more enthusiastic, and they're not quite as cautious as some of the others, and then you see fisheries where some fish won't get caught for several years yeah um and that might be just naturally they're more cautious um or and then other fish will you know get caught as, and take sort of take being caught as an occupational hazard really and go charge around eating everything and, mm. and um and getting caught and not and maybe not being that worried about it so def- carp have definitely got different uh characters without a doubt from my experience yeah uh, what's one of the strangest things you've ever seen a carp do um I go back to our nutsy days, where, um, as I said, I spent a lot of time watching fish there. One of the, and um, in the sort of there was that no fishing sanctuary area in the left-hand side there, mm. and um, I'd watched the big that the big nutsy mirror there. Um, it, it had its back to me, and um, it's had it had its um, back to me in that sanctuary. I was just sitting sat in the bush and um, watching it. it. Didn't didn't know I was there. Completely oblivious to me. Um, and this smaller one, smaller carp, swam along the margin, and I think it, it must have clocked me because um, it swam along the margin, done a little U-turn, swam up to the big mirror, and just nudged the mirror in the side of the body. Right. And um, and I was like, oh, what's happening here? So it sort of nudged it with its nose in the side, nose in the side of its body. Uh, both fish then swam around come right up to where I was stood um, and literally looked at me like that in the water upright they tilted up and looked at me up in the water and then both of them just swam off wow and I was like I swear that that fish that small fish was warning the the big mirror there that I was stood there and warned (laughs) it and they both swam off and I was like did that really just happen and uh, so you know all animals communicate with each other and it'd be mm. silly to think the carp don't communicate yeah, with each other yeah. and warn each other off yeah. uh, danger or let each other know when there's food around and that sort of thing you know we don't know was it a small scaly mirror? yeah it was quite a small yeah, one yeah, yeah. Uh, that funny enough I caught that fish before I'd actually had the nuts I'd had the nutsy mirror I'd had the nutsy mirror and that fish and a few others feeding on spots quite regularly mm. and I'd had a bite and it would be the little mirror you know and think yeah. oh here we go and there was like two fish on the spot and you'd get a bite it's almost like a little bodyguard almost yeah, that used yeah, to get yeah. caught um, you know when it, and sort of go around and spend a lot of time with the big one but um, yeah so like I said it's um, you know, the more the more you observe carp and you're able to in those sort of environments, the more you learn about them and, and their behaviours. And, and they are, as I said, um, you know, quite complex creatures, really, when you think about it. Um, you know, and uh, really interesting to observe that sort of behaviour. And you think, God, how much is that happening out in the lake when you're fishing and what's going on out there? And you think, well, you know, it's a bit scary, really. Yeah. Um, so, sort of growth weights in carp. What's yeah. what's um, have you seen anything that's been out of the ordinary there? Yeah, the carp can grow at an astonishing rate in the right environment. Uh, you know, if, if a fish is if the fish is living in a in an in a environment which has got plenty of food, the water quality is good, good oxygen levels all year round, they can put some pretty phenomenal uh, growth on. Um, as another sort of part of my job and what I do as well is I'm, I do a bit of carp farming as well. So um, I run a, a company called Deben Valley Fisheries and we supply carp to quite a few fisheries around the country. And just to give you an example of that, we sold um, a C6, uh, sorry, a C3 uh, about at £6 to a fishery um, uh, in Northamptonshire. And that fish went in at £6 and one summer later was caught at 18 pounds wow. and it had done 12 pounds in one summer amazing um and it was a sort of real quite rich obviously very rich fishery a lot of natural food in there and it, it, it um you know that's a 200 percent growth rate yeah imagine if you saw a human doing that in a, in a year you know what i mean yeah. it'd be astonishing it's like a 
it's like uh, you know an amazing huge, huge amount of growth and, and so if the conditions are right and, and um, it's a really really big factor and also obviously the strain of fish as well some strains go grow a bit quicker than others yeah um, but a lot of it is environmental really you know a lot of different strains will go really quickly in the right environment and if there's plenty of food for them then they will absolutely stack the weight on yeah how's that fish getting on now do you uh, know yeah it's well into 20s now yeah i think it's been up to 25 now um i think yeah so it's still putting on the weight wow i get updates every now and again from that batch and, and you know um you know we on the farm we'll do a, a six pounder probably reach sort of 11 12 pounds in a normal sort of environment when it's just eating pellets and things um but yeah, so you know, it takes a pretty special environment to get them growing that that quickly. Yeah, you know? yeah. How how long have you been doing the carp farming? Uh, I started that uh, back in two thousand and eleven. Um, so yeah, I've been doing it a little while now. It's mm. only relatively small scale, to be honest. If you don't do loads of fish, uh, but we yeah we do all sorts. We do sort of between most of our fish are C three to C six. We do yeah. Uh, you know, and instead of we get all over the country delivering fish, um, you know, down to sort of Somerset, up to Lancashire, all over. We're based in Suffolk, and we go around East Anglia, some yeah. local fisheries and what have you. So that's been been quite a big part of my life over the last few years as well. Mm. Are you growing many monsters? If we we're growing them. To sell big ones, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, like yeah, any uh, like monstrous C sixes you've had yeah, on site. Yeah, we've had them up to sort of twenty four pounds, yeah, twenty five maybe scraping twenty five pounds. You know, for a C six is a big, big C six. Mm. You know, uh, not not always that size, but you do get some. Yeah, that like we said that you know, um, fish's growth rates is re are really plastic, so so they, they're, they're not. You can't say oh this is the size of a fish and it. And it's this age. You, you, yeah. You'll get some. We'll get C threes that, that are ten pounds. Mm. We'll get some C fours that, that are eight pounds or nine yeah. pounds. You know yeah. what I mean? So they yeah. overlap quite a lot because yeah. some of the real, the real one, those ones that shoot ahead of the other others. Go <laughs> in a minute. Yeah, miners. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they do overlap a lot. So you get, as I said, with all the age categories, you get some real real big ones that shoot ahead of all the others they're generally the ones we keep back to grow on another year so mm. um you know if you you don't you don't really sell that if you've got a nine ten pound c3 it doesn't get sold a c3 it's going to be a c6 by the yeah, time it gets sold yeah. And yeah. if you get good years all the way through then that's one of the that's when you're going to be hitting like yeah. you know, 25 pound c3 it can be hard not to get rid of them sometimes it can be sometimes they almost yeah. become your pets yeah you go oh, i can't sell that one i can't sell yeah. that one you've got, you've got to sell some of them yeah, <laughs> at some point i oh, know i tell sim all the time we're not selling that <laughs> no. one we're not selling this one or that one or that one or yeah. that one i've got to sell something yeah, exactly. yeah yeah be in business you know you've got to sell yeah. something at some point but uh but yeah no it's all good fun interesting stuff mm. so so I understand a lot of your fishing then, um, is, it, is it around match fishing? I understand you do a fair amount of match aiming. Yeah, so. yeah, I have been, yeah. Match, match fishing has been something I've got into uh, sort of in the last sort of six, six years or so. Um, and it was really, I'd always wanted to get into it. And um, um, when the sort of BCAC was about, and that's pretty much the only match at the time, there wasn't really any others available. And... Um, and it was a pairs competition and I was, didn't really have anyone to fish with to be fair so I um, don't know what that says about me or my mates I don't know but anyway <laughs> but, um, but sort of uh, went but then there, there was a um, the UK Cup Cup start as a singles competition mm. and I was like oh ideal I'll have a, I'll have a go on this by myself <laughs> but uh, so I entered the UK uh, Cup Cup uh, for the first time that ran I think that might have been in 2012 maybe hmm. or something like that maybe a longer longer ago than I thought but um, anyway so I entered that one and um, uh, did, did really well did a lot of practicing really you know did a lot of work to, to get to used to fishing at certain venues because I've, I've not done any matches really before apart from when I was a kid fishing local club matches on a seat box and that sort yeah, of thing yeah. uh, but apart from that I never fished a cart match so I did a lot of work and prep and that's quite a big part of it really successful match angling is about preparing getting to know the venue really well and that sort of thing and so I spent a lot of time doing that and um, yeah did really well uh, first match over fish was at a place called Chestnut Pool um, in Bedfordshire uh, it was a pretty hectic busy venue and um, the first time I fished uh, fished there did a lot of practicing fish it it was sort of an ex-match fishery sort of turned cart fishery so it's very well stocked mm. And um, had a load of fish in there, fish at flatbed method feeders for the first time. 
Um, I got schooled a little bit by Kev Grout on Flatbeds. Yeah, I was going to say. So yeah, obviously um, is, is, that's is, Kev and Luke's yeah, forte, so isn't I'd, it? I'd watched him using them a few times. I was yeah. like, give this, give this a go. And anyway, and it was an idle venue, really well stocked. And the, that, yeah, and hammered them on the flatbeds, to be fair. We had about 120 fish wow. in 40 hours. Bloody hell. Yeah, which is pretty hectic. And I, um, uh, a friend of mine, um, Dave, came, who are now fished doubles um, with. That's sort of how that all happened. Dave came and was my runner. So I had him loading up flatbed method feeders for 40 hours. And he, he said, I never want to see another flatbed method feeder <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I can imagine. And, uh, uh, so, yeah, that one there and floaters and things worked really well. So I came second in that one, the first one. Uh, Bart was fishing the same match. It's the first time I met him and he fished a whole lot on seat box for mm. two days. So I was yeah. like, and he was fishing pellet wagon on seat box and I, I was fishing the flatbeds and, and the floaters as well. And he came first and I came second. Right. I, um, we were miles ahead of everyone else, I think. So, so I like that venue. So I fished that venue for quite a few times after that, um, and won the next two, um, just fishing floaters, and, and got through to the finals of those a few times. Yeah. Um, Have you ever done in the finals? Yeah. So they? I've got um, my best of second place. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm trying to think the year now. It might have been that year even. To be fair, that year when I, when I time goes so quickly now. It's hard yeah, to know what yeah. what, uh, what year was what, but. Um, yeah, I got. I think it was the first first match I ever fit. It was the first year I fished it, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, I got through the the semi final was on uh, Brazen O's one uh, a linear, and then the final was on Oxley's. So um, so yeah, I got onto the final, scraped through the semi on that the semi final on that particular occasion with a fish in the last ten minutes. Wow! And I, um, so I managed to just about and le- but learned a huge amount. I mean, as I said, this is like the first time I've ever match fishing. Mm. And um, you learn so much, improves your skills so much because it, you, you're, you're really proactive with how you're fishing. You're yeah. not just sat there. You know, a lot of people when they go fishing, they're basically camping and not really doing a lot. Yeah, Whereas yes. your match fishing, really, you can't do that there. You've got to be really proactive with what you're doing. You go to different venues, use different methods. So, you know, not really spotted over zigs before, but I know mm. B1 was a really good venue for spotting over zigs. So I had to do a lot of practicing on there. Yeah. Spent probably six days on there, probably three different. 48-hour sessions of spotting over zigs and practicing that before the semi-final. Uh, got through there, and then I got onto Oxley's. It was big maggot water at the time. Obviously, it's all banned now, but yeah, at the time yeah. it was maggot water. And then that, and that, I've never fished maggots before. Mm. Uh, that in that way uh, for carp, and so that again went on there with a load of watched people on there, like caning the maggot in and catching loads of fish. And like, well, you know, and I was fishing a bit of maggot with a normal sort of spot mix, and I came nowhere near the guys who were just fishing maggots so that was you know learnt a lot on there for a few sessions and all that's really developed my angling you know different yeah, skills yeah. otherwise I wouldn't be fishing these venues really so much I'd just be fishing maybe the old my own syndicate regularly but the match fishing really does develop your own angling skills and obviously that benefits you with your own angling you know in your own time as well as away from the matches mm. so yeah got to the final there and um uh, practiced on the maggots, had some quite big hits on the maggots in practice. Got the, you know, got real through the practice. You try and put a bit of a game plan together, and got onto the final and um, got a good swim that I was really happy with. Um, and I led the match for the whole whole match from really? start to finish. Right. Um, my old mate Kev Grout beat me again. Oh, did <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I led the whole the whole match, and uh, I had um, <laughs> don't like it's a bit a bit of a sore topic to talk about. Really, yeah. <laughs> sort of put it to the back of my mind, bring it all back to me now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'd I'd been catching quite regularly. Like I'd got I'd got this what it's us three rods on a spot, a gun and a maggot on top of all three rods. So yeah. that's it. In every swim on Oxley's, you do that, you get bites. Pretty much wherever I did that, you'd get bites. Yeah, yeah. So I did that, and we had a lot of fish in between. Uh, between us on our end, sort of the, the the first end as you come into Oxley's, it's that that end, and um, I had quite a few bites every every evening, pretty dead through the day. But then in the evenings, it was like flicking a switch, and they'd start showing, and you'd you'd get start getting a few bites. And I led for the whole lot, and then two hours from the end, um, I was in the lead, and um, and uh, heard an alarm, looked out, Kev had run out, picked up his rod, and uh, he took to one. He's playing it in my swimmer sort of died. And um, he landed it, and that put him ahead of me. Um, and I'd caught nine fish, and he'd caught eight. 
Oh, and he well, beat me. No. Yeah. Oh, no. So I was like, well, what more can you do? My average size of fish, you know, yeah. I had a couple of like 12 pounders. Right. And uh, so I think he beat me by about seven pounds or something in the oh, end with two God. hours to go after I'd led for the whole match. Yeah. So, so it was good. Like, don't get me wrong, if you'd have said you'd be second um, from the start, I'd have yeah, been happy. That, but when yeah. you led the whole match from start to mm. finish, you know, some good, really good anglers in that match as well, you know. So. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was a bit gutting, but you know, that's match fishing for you, you yeah, know, it, yeah. it, you know, I've, I've done the same the way it's been the other way around and I've knocked people out, you know, with, with, with minutes to go as mm. well. And so, um, and, and it's gutting, but it's sort of the nature of the beast really. And you yeah. sign up to it. Yeah. You've got to expect that sort of thing to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do, do you do much other angling other than match fishing side of things? Do you do any big fish sort of angling yeah, at yeah. all? Or? Yeah. So I fish, um, a local syndicate to me. Um, at the moment, um, where, I'm, where I am in Suffolk, it's not exactly sort of hotbed of carp fishing, really. So, um, but so I, and I'm quite restricted to short sessions. Um, so I have to find somewhere really within about half an hour, half an hour of where I live. Um, so I'm fish, currently fishing in a place called Hassie Fen, which is near Soham, just mm. on the edge of the fens. And um, nice, nice lake. It's a farm reservoir, and there's quite a big fish in there. They sort of the right time of year they're averaging not far off 30 pounds so you know that's a pretty big fish to most yeah, people in the uk yeah, yeah. i think a few 40s and it's good good suits my style of fishing on there where i've um you know i'm quite um i cut my teeth back in the day on, on horseshoe where i really you know that's where i grew up fishing when i've moved on to proper sort of carp fisheries so it's spotting you know some solid bags that sort of thing and it's the same sort of fishing really you know, you yeah. know that sort of style of fishing mm. Um, and that suits me really well and, and it's pretty well stocked as I said and, and so I do enjoy my big fish fishing as well as I said I don't tend to target fish anymore I spent um, the only fish I've ever targeted was that nutsy fish apart from that you just I, think, I don't think targeting big fish is really my thing because if you're not catching that say that specific fish you're targeting mm. it can sort of ruin your angling a little yeah. bit sometimes yeah I agree and, yeah. Um, and that nutsy fish was a bit of an example of that where I was just focused on just catching that one fish for a couple of years and I'd lost it a couple of times and it all got a bit bit of an obsession and other things start to suffer in life mm, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. nowadays i just sort of i just enjoy getting bites really and, yeah um, you know that's that's um when you enjoy catching fish and just getting bites it's, and, uh, that's the main thing and if some big ones come along and fishing the like has said there's, there's a lot of 30 pounders in there so and that's if i'm happy catching a few 30s you know um each month and that that uh, you know it's just what i'm after yeah do you um do you ever carry an oxygen meter with you uh, when you're fishing, no, I, no? I should do. I should. I, I have thought about it before, definitely, because um, you know, with my fish farming, you know, we do, we we obviously check oxygen levels regularly in ponds, yes. and yeah. um, and they do vary a lot through the, you know, through the through the summer. You know, mm. you can have, or even for a 24-hour period, they can they yeah, can vary yeah. a huge amount, and um, you know, and and I think a lot of fisheries don't necessarily check their own oxygen levels regularly, but they should do, and. Um, if you can definitely, if you were to go around the lake and try and find the areas with the highest oxygen levels, I bet yeah. the carp wouldn't be far away. They're very, mm. very quick at finding if, if there's low oxygen levels in certain areas and higher areas. They're, they're, they're good at seeking out those high oxygen levels, yeah, without a doubt. So, I mean, it's just how far do you want to take things, really? That's it. I, I always <laughs> sort of wonder what you know whether whether that's going to be the thing. You're seeing a lot more people going about now with thermometers, obviously, yeah. in the winter sort of times. Sure. And it makes me wonder how long it's going to be before people start carrying oxygen meters. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it is such a mass. It's such an important thing for a carp, isn't it? Without and, doubt, for its feeding. Yeah, that, that you know, carp or, or fish live in very um, oxygen low environments. Mm. You know, the, the amount of oxygen uh, in water is a huge amount lower than it is in air. And so they have to be very, very efficient at taking oxygen out of water, and also very efficient at removing that oxygen from the water as well they're much yeah. we're uh, you know, humans or land mammals are very wasteful we we don't take much of the oxygen out of the air at all because there's so much of it we don't need to be efficient but mm. with fish they have to be very efficient at, and they are very well designed and their gills and everything are very well designed to to remove as much oxygen from the water as possible and they do find like you say like i said they do find areas like if you've got things like like pipes coming in with fresh water and things like that yeah. with their with oxygenated water coming in if the oxygen levels are low around the lake, they'll soon find those areas where you've got, um, you know, and when you see fisheries of oxygen crashes and they start aerators up, you, the fish soon gather around those aerators. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, take yeah. them very long to figure out where the, where the oxygen levels are the highest. Um, so, yeah, I think, 
it's the same with all this technology coming into angling. I think, in my opinion, it's sort of maybe overcomplicating things a little bit sometimes. Mm. And whether you just want to use watercraft and try and find them, you know, and yeah. just walk around and try and spot them. And, 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 you know, there'll be reasons for why the carp are where they are. It might be oxygen, it might be temperature, it might be food, you know, it might be a combination of all those things. Um, but if you if you you know you need to know that or not, I don't know if you need to know that necessarily. All you need to know is that they're there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you see yeah. them boshing out everywhere, then you think, well, they're there. That's where I'll fish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't really it. mind what the temperature is there. Yeah, <laughs> is technology something you embrace in your angling, or um, I'm a bit stuck in male ways, to be honest with you. Um, I, my my opinion is with any new thing that comes into angling is I'm happy to use it if I can see. That it's a big benefit to me and I see other people um, um, benefiting from it and, and if say for example I'm at a fishery and somebody's catching using something else a new a new rig or something new bit of kit or something like that and I'm thinking you know, I'm missing out here you know yeah. he's catching more than me and I and, yeah. I and I need to be using that to, to, to catch you know you know fish keep up with everyone else sort of thing so you're sort of comparing you know it's not a, it's not a competition as such but you're always comparing what you're catching to other people you know, it's just natural, I think, as anglers mm. we are. I think, isn't it? You know, um, yeah. Uh, and um, and so if I, if I saw that, then I'd definitely be open to using, you know, using um, new things and, and what have you. Um, and so, but apart from that, if I, if I'm fishing somewhere and someone's, you know, using bait boats, for example, you know, you've got bait boats now with cameras on them and echo yeah. sounders on them. And generally speaking, I've never been in the situation where I've sort of seen someone doing something or using a certain rig doing something. That thought, well, they're catching loads more than me. You know, I better use that. It doesn't really happen too much. You know, no. um, I just sort of focus on traditional sort of watercraft, and that is a big thing that will catch you more fish than any technology. In my opinion is sort of just sort of very sort of um, you know down to basics, cart fishing really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've used the same rig for probably the last fifteen years. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> and what what rig would would that be? Well, it's, it's pretty. A... Well, back in the day, you used to call it a liner liner. But I don't right. know. It's been called a lot of different things now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the people reinvent the wheel, don't they? Just yeah. to sort of stay, stay interesting. But it's just uh, you know a bit of silicone on the hair with a, with a shrink tubing kicker on it. Yeah. Um, either coated braid or a, or an uncoated braid if I'm fishing solid bags, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And as I said, if someone was fishing in the next peg to me and using chod rigs, for example, the, jed, the dreaded chod rig, uh, then I'd happily switch to that and think, well, they're catching loads more. Yeah. You know, I'll use it, no problem. But that's never happened really you know i've got my own way of doing things and yeah. i've always been sort of catching as many as anyone else or you know or, or more than anyone else so you know like what i said about the flatbed method feeders earlier mm. i fished with kevin and i thought yeah this is big this is yeah this, could, this could work and, yeah. I, and i and i used it and i yeah. Yeah, got a bit of bit of schooling off that and took it away used it you know tweaked it and that's something that you know an example of a new thing that wasn't really used in carp fishing no still so isn't still isn't but it's, no. it's deadly. It is deadly i know it is um, it i know is, um you know yeah well funny enough i used them um on moza versus um last week oh, and yeah and had, had a load of bites yeah, on them yeah. so like they are deadly definitely but it, i don't know I, the, my problem is i haven't got enough confidence in them because they've got such little about a bait yeah on them you know when you look at a solid bag yeah and then you look at a flatbed yeah, I just can't get my head around the fact that you know a solid bag would get me a quicker bite. Yeah, than a flatbed would. But yeah. then I've seen, I've filmed Kevin Luke. Yeah, absolutely smack them on them flatbeds. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, a flatbed isn't suitable in all situations. And I fished, uh, and I think sometimes solid bags will get you more bites. It does depend a little bit on just not necessarily knowing why, but just certain fisheries and things where I've seen solids outfish flatbeds. Um, and other times do you think that's because of the the amount of bait yeah it might be a few different things it might be because there's a lot more sort of silvers and stuff there maybe mm. it might be the stock of carp and the numbers of carp um so do, you do catch big fish on flatbeds but um yeah i wouldn't say i've caught i've caught much bigger fish on solids um, yeah but, um, but i know that they do catch 30 pounders yeah um but yeah so but i think Sometimes it's not always obvious why something works in certain situations. People, you can theorise over something, why you think it might be, but without actually being under the water and seeing, you don't really know. But by sort of a bit of trial and error to a certain extent, you can mm. figure out what's working better and, and what have you. But, um, but yeah, so definitely, you know, 
taking on new things is something I'm very willing to do if there's a you know genuine reason behind it. Like for example, um, like the SPOM was a new mm. bit of technology back then, and that and I was quite I'm not as I said I don't jump on sort of bandwagons and start using that. So I was just using a SPOD uh, for a long time after quite a, quite a long time after SPOMs came out, and that now looking back at it the, the spod is dead isn't it you know the traditional yeah. spod no one yeah, uses yeah. spod anymore i loved it when that spawn came when yeah. it first came out me and my mates were using them on a place called signer yeah and everyone was like oh, i can't believe you're using them crappy things what a gimmick yeah, and, this, yeah, that. and we yeah. were like yeah 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 we really struggle with them <laughs> yeah. mate they're terrible that, thinking you're an idiot that was probably me you know <laughs> thinking that about you using that yeah i'd have said the same i was like oh, what's all this bloody you know gimmicky type things yeah but it's revolutionized baiting isn't it really you yeah, know what i mean it's 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 a game changer Mm. You know, you've got to, you've got to admit it, um, and it, it probably the time I started using it was when I started fishing maggots actually, because you don't want no. half your spot of maggot yeah, falling out the back yeah. when you're spending twelve, yeah. fifteen quid a gallon of maggot. You mm. don't want to, you lose half of it. Yeah, so I was like, sure. I've got to use a spawn really, and then yeah. that's then from then I've not used anything else. No. You know, why would you? Um, you know, so you know that's why I did. And I saw a massive benefit to it, and I was happy to. But I'm never quick to move onto these things unless I've sort of seen them proven and yeah. there's a reason behind it. A lot of people sort of just. That they might see something come out and they'll just start using it and I'll say well why are you using that and you go mm. well they don't really know why they are really yeah, yeah. what you were using before was worked fine probably um, but if there's a genuine reason for it then you know you know brilliant you know I'll definitely definitely jump on it but I won't be the first one I'll let people yeah, like yeah. you mess around with them first and then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wicked well, well that's probably a good point to end on yeah. that James Anderson thank you for coming on the podcast buddy thanks Mozart it's been a pleasure cheers, cheers mate So I hope you all enjoyed that interview there with James Anderson. Like I say, he's got, you know, obviously he knows a lot about, you know, the them scientific side of things with carp, especially, you know, with the with their taste but and like them hearing like 50,000 times more than humans and what that yeah absolutely mega 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 you know and uh, a great insight into you know what James knows about it all so yes that is it another DNA podcast done I have recently spoken to Tong he is in high spirits as well which is amazing 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 to hear He's on about getting out, perhaps doing a bit of filming. We've got the winter series, which I've like thoroughly looking forward to because I've already got things booked up for the winter series. Got some great plans going on for the winter series as well. And uh, and yeah, by the sounds of things, Tong sounds like he's well up for doing a few of them this year. So yeah, thoroughly looking forward to getting back out with Ian McMillan. Ah, oh, yeah, that would be just epic to get back out with Ian for sure. I've, I've missed him. Yep, I'm putting it out there. I have proper missed him, to be honest. So, yes, like I say, stay tuned for some more great podcasts coming your way. I'm going to be out abroad in a couple of weeks' time. And, and yeah, doing uh, some interviews out there. I'm going to be doing some live on the bank stuff for the podcast. And, and yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly looking forward to some fishing that I've got coming up. Uh, a massive thank you to everyone that's left us reviews. Um, yeah, all, all of your help on the review front on iTunes is, is massively appreciated. And yeah, thank you to everyone that's left us reviews. If you haven't left us one, you got uh, literally takes a few seconds for the old stars thing and, and, and write us a review would be absolutely amazing. So I will speak to you all on the next one. Thank you.